podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and once again I'm joined by Stevie Mullen. Stevie, how are you doing? I'm doing very well Paul, thanks for inviting me through. It's always a pleasure on a Thursday to see you. Now before we get started Stevie, we're going to have an extra special bulletin tomorrow night. So we're going to run with our 12.30 bulletin on Friday as normal with Jim Orr. But at night time you're going to come through with a special guest and we're going to be talking about the forthcoming Rangers game tomorrow night. So what time do you reckon you'll be here to join us? We believe in Glasgow about 7pm, so we should be here for about 8 if the traffic's okay. Something I'm really looking forward to now. I know Simmy's looking forward to it as well. Well, it will be yourself and Jim Simonetti. We've had a few uh, queries asking where Jim is, so it's the return of Simmy, and um, I'll be interested to, to hear from the pair of you at a different time, because I think at night time, Stevie, we'll get a lot of people getting involved in a discussion. I think it, the night before a Celtic Rangers game, then people are sitting about watching the TV, you know, they're a bit agitated, they're not with their friends, especially at this time because you can't go to a pub or anything, and they're all just looking for a Celtic fix. So what better fix can you get than sitting talking about Celtic in the studio 
and everybody can join in. Now, I just said before we came on, you and I had been talking for a bit there. Um, there's Ken Walsh coming in to say, Simmy, the return of the king. <laughs> You've took that too far, Ken. <laughs> the return of the king. Uh, we need to let uh, Jim see that when he comes in tomorrow, Ken. Uh, great for you to join us and you are watching on YouTube. For anyone else who's watching on YouTube, uh, please subscribe. We're only about 30 subscribers away from the magical figure of 3,000. Let's see if we can get there before kick-off on Saturday. Um, but we were talking about the game and, you know, I have absolutely no fear. I've got no fear on Saturday. Um, yes, we're missing a few players. That's the norm, isn't it? And of the players who were missing, I think Forrest would have started, Christie would have started, and Edward will still be available. And, I, and I'm going to ask the question. We've seen pictures of him yesterday, Stevie, and he's obviously back in Scotland. Earlier than I thought he was going to be, I thought it was Friday, in actual fact, but he's back in Scotland. And um, like you were saying before, you don't know how much it's affected him. He's a young guy. We don't know the effects of the, the virus on Edward. Do you reckon he will feature at some point on Saturday? I would start him. If he hasn't suffered any ill effects of the virus and they don't know what toll it's took on his health. If he declares himself fit to play, I would start. And the reason why I would start him is I wouldn't want to put him on the bench. You start with Lee Griffiths. You take Lee off because he's tired. You put Eddie on and then he breaks down. I'd rather he was the first guy rather than having to waste three centre-forwards on the one man, man. Do you think we will only go with one up front, Stevie? Because, again, that's another discussion point. Had Christie been fit, there was the possibility that he would be playing up top with one of the four strikers that we have. I can't see Lenny playing with the two at the best of times, and I don't think we'll be starting with two strikers on Saturday. If I want to get into this discussion, then, right, OK, let's go. If you're looking at it and it's a Celtic Rangers game and you've got to take the other team, so you're asking me to do the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life and kid on associated with Rangers. So if you're looking at it from Michael Beale's point of view, and let's not be kidded, he's the guy who's the brains behind the throne. So he'll be looking at how can I exploit Celtic. So if you're in Michael Beale's position, you're going to be looking at the fullback areas and the space between your central defenders and the fullbacks. Mm-hmm. So he'll be wanting to play Barisic and Tavernier. He'll want to play Ryan Kent wide left to double up with Barisic. And I think he would want to play Scott Arfield doubling up with Tavernier. So we then need to combat that and then we proceed. It's For me, and I've been one of the guys who's championed the three-five-two on the show, for this game in isolation, and obviously with the risk that you've got all your centre-halves, you've only got three, I would go to a 4-5-1. Mm-hmm. That would be my formation for Saturday. Now, it's interesting because, like you say, that the big concern, one of the big concerns really is that centre-half position. So if you're playing with the three centre-halves, Stevie, all it takes is one injury. We saw it uh, the night that you and I were watching the European game, Beaton was off after six minutes. We don't have the replacement on the bench, unless it's Welsh. And then it's a risk to throw in a young guy in a game against Rangers. Now, you and I are actually going to be looking at some classic games against Rangers over the years. Um, some from your memory banks and some that I can recall as well. Um, so that, that'll be interesting. But there has been occasions where young guys have been thrown into this fixture and it's affected them negatively because... It's not gone as well as you would have expected. On the flip side, sometimes people go in with less fear. And I think that was my point with Axel during the week there. You know, I'm I'm kind of pushing for him to start 
because I don't think it will affect them in any way, shape or form to be playing against Rangers. I think it's a strange mix. You need to have a bit of calmness that you're not going to get too embroiled in bitterness right for the start. But mm-hmm. You've got to play with passion and emotion. But going out and there's no crowd, if you're a good footballer, then you should be able to play. I watched a thing very interestingly during the week and it maybe correlates to the same situation that Scott Brown's playing in. And it was Gary Neville talking about Roy Keane. He says, we were a very good team when Roy wasn't in a team. Mm. We were a brilliant team when he was in it. So even when Keane sort of waned a wee bit for the peak, he still had that massive influence on the team. And I think that's what Scott Brown adds to our team. Even if he's not playing particularly well, he can drive the other guys on it because they've got to satisfy his demands. You've got the manager in the dressing room who tells you through the game, good captains then get that onto the park and make the guys lift to their demands. Mm-hmm. You know the, the Scott Brown factor and he is written off almost season on season, Stevie. I think the Scott Brown factor is key in a match such as this. Um, I'm also really aware of you know the lineup coming out um, an hour or so before the game often and uh, Lenny surprises us with an inclusion of someone. Can you see him doing something like that on Saturday? I don't think there's anybody that you could be surprised with. If you're going to be playing him based on the two previous Celtic Rangers games, I think you need to be aware of the dangers and how you can threaten them. You know, the last game, the 29th, I thought Goldson, and I can't remember his partner at the back, were allowed to stroll out and hit passes, where when we get the ball at the back, they were on us like a flash. So we need to combat that. We need to be competitive in the middle of the park where I thought we were out-fought and out-thought in the last two games. So we need to be really, really tight unit in the middle of the park. Scott Brown, for this game, I wouldn't expect him to link the play all the time. I would hope if we could just sit a wee bit deeper and no get caught in front of the ball because we need to be able to combat them hitting us in the break. Or do we sit in and invite them out and then hit them on the brick. Where, if you've got Frimpong, mm. Maxall, then you can expose their frailties. But it's, it's a very, very difficult game and the tactics is going to be really, really important for Saturday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Stevie. Now, before we get back to the fixture against Rangers, there's been a few other things happening uh, around about the club since uh, you were last here. And most of the um, people tuning in will be aware that the club did do, um, there, there has been a survey in relation to Celtic fans and uh, talking about, you know, getting back to the game, Stevie, after this pandemic or during this pandemic. And you've got some stats and figures there from the, the survey results that you yeah. want to share with us. Again, it's even the title's a bit off. The fans' sentiment survey, you know, so I don't know who came up with that. But 17,000 people completed the survey about the potential return to Celtic Park. Mm-hmm. 99.5% of supporters are ready to return but would expect restrictions. 99% of fans would complete a COVID questionnaire prior to entering the stadium. 86% would still attend if they were not allocated their own seat. 80% would attend even if other family members with season tickets could not access the same game. 83% have access to a printer. 75% would travel by private car. And 87% expressed excitement and optimism optimism at returning to live matches. 
Um, did you say that was 13 or 17,000? 17,000 people responded to the survey. Interesting. It is interesting because, I mean, we have watched uh, with interest some of the developments over the last um, few days in relation to international football, Stevie, and you're watching um, stadiums with fans back in there. Uh, we have heard again from Nicola Sturgeon this week talking about fans travelling elsewhere to watch games. Uh, she highlighted Blackpool. And um, maybe some of the fans will be coming to Fife. I'm not too sure. We'll need to wait and see. We'll certainly not be in Fife during the game. Uh, we'll be here covering it. But um, it is interesting to know how people are thinking and feeling out there. And, you know, they're pushing for it. Again, I was watching it on the Sky Sports updates this morning, Stevie. They're also talking about it in the English game because it's teetering on the brink at the moment. There's around 12 clubs really struggling and uh, potentially going to go into administration very soon if uh, some of these restrictions aren't lifted. So it's great to know that certainly from the cross-section of Celtic fans that um, you know precautions would be taken, wouldn't it? It wouldn't just be a free-for-all. People know this far in, if you are given any kind of opportunity to get back to the football, you will be doing it um, with the rules stipulated beforehand. You know, So I, I can't see it uh, being an issue where we would allow fans back in, but we weren't able to stick to the criteria and then it gets scrapped. I think everybody's wise enough at this moment in time. I think it highlights how mismanaged this pandemic's been in the UK, not just particularly Scotland, the whole of the UK. But last week at a rugby match in New Zealand, had 40,000 people there mm-hmm. and this week they're expecting 47,000. We've got 60,000 seated stadium and we're not deemed safe to allow 3,000 people to access the ground. I think it's a total mismanagement by the government of the UK and Scotland and Northern Ireland and Wales. Oh, definitely, Steve. I mean, with regards to this game then, uh, you've watched Celtic all your life. You've seen some phenomenal times, you've seen some dark days at Celtic Park, this is the first occasion where we've uh, came up against a a team playing out at Ibrox and there'll be no fans at the game, now Celtic have played behind closed doors all this season uh, like all the other sides, there's been previous occasions in Europe where we were forced to play behind closed doors uh, due to the incident against Rapid Vienna, you'll remember that well yourself Stevie, and then there were occasions where Celtic fans were banned from Ibrox there was one occasion where we were banned from Ibrox um, and I think that ended 1-1 that particular game yeah, we were at Celtic Park watching the reserves that day mm-hmm. <laughs> we were trannies <laughs> how, how many thousands were at Celtic Park that day then? Well, the film main stand was full mm-hmm. you know it was, again it's awful hard if your life is deemed just going to watch a Celtic then if you can't see one team you'll go and watch another Yep. you know that's just what you do you know even the young men that you've got in this studio with you, you know, that's what they do. They just go to watch Celtic. It's absolutely brilliant. And don't let anybody ever put you off of that habit because it's fantastic. Absolutely, Stevie. I, I do remember back in the day, I used to buy, obviously, the Celtic View, but shoot and match, Roy the Rovers. And whenever there was an interview with a player, it wasn't an in-depth interview trying to get into the player's psyche. It was things like, what's your pre-match meal? Uh, what car do you drive? All that kind of stuff. And one of the questions always was, what's your second team? And whenever they, they spoke to somebody like Tommy Burns or Peter Grant, second team, Celtic Reserves. <laughs> I loved that, you know. It was like, no, I'm not even going to pick an English side. It's Celtic Reserves. That's my Celtic, the, my, the, my the second team. The biggest thing that's really came through to me this week, Paul, and how things have changed, was we're going to be talking about the games, you know, and I was lucky enough to be at most of them, you know, and you're thinking, 
how do I get a ticket? Especially if it was games at Ibrox and you'd be beg stealing and borrow, you know, and you'd be away through to Falkirk and a, a New Year's Day because somebody had a ticket for you for the 2nd of January. And this week, it's guys asking, have you got a spare login? <laughs> <laughs> you know, how the world is changing. You know, these tickets were like gold dust. Now yeah. the logins are like gold dust. It's incredible. It is. You never thought you'd see the day. And it is going to be unusual. And I asked the other day there if anybody knew any of the people who were responsible for that airplane flying over Ibrox that day with the, the banner. I'm sure they were from Falkirk. I'm sure they had connections to Falkirk. Is, can someone out there help us out? You never know. Somebody out there might have been involved in that. Who was the... Is it John Clark that originally came from Falkirk? Neely. Neely Malkin. Well, yeah. When we were talking about it last week, I remember a, a dear friend of mine who sadly passed away, Jack Scratch. We were at Ashfield Dogs one night and I didn't have a ticket for the, the game, the Celtic Rangers game at Ibrooks. And Jack sent me through to Falkirk in a New Year's morning to get a ticket after the guy who ran the bus because Neely Malkin had gave him the ticket. So I'm waiting through in Falkirk, now I'm from Glasgow, at this centre, sports centre, waiting for this random stranger to come up with a ticket to allow you to get the game. Now you've got a, a login. I know, I know. <laughs> and by the way, I think uh, Neely was famed for being able to get his hands on tickets. And during uh, many of the years that he was at Celtic, Jim Kennedy was the the ticket man at Celtic Park and apparently Jim used to go to Neely for tickets. You know, that's how bad it got. Was Neely a doggy man? Oh, he loved the dogs. <coughs> well, that's where the, the connection would have been through Jack. He loved the, the greyhounds. Through, through the greyhounds. He had a few greyhounds himself, actually. And um, uh, I think his dream was to retire with a couple of dogs and just that would have been his kind of pastime at that point. Charlie Tully sold him a greyhound and, and they brought it over from Ireland. And um, so there's a funny story attached to that. But read the book, read the Celtic book. Smiler. <laughs> uh, the, the story is in the book. Um, but all, obviously there's other wee bits that, that happen in the world of Celtic. We've got other things happening uh, around the club at all times. Uh, obviously this is uh, the big game, uh, the Glasgow Derby. And uh, when, I, when I look at, some of the things that's happening uh, on other platforms, Stevie, I, I just, I'm just shaking my head. And I tweeted out last night, and again, I, I'm not trying to give the guy any airtime, but the comments that, you know, there might be a rift or there's been a rift in the Celtic dressing room, it's so predictable that in this week of all weeks, Stevie, we're going to get this, you know, dressing room split, broken crest story. And the bad news story comes out about Celtic, which is completely unfounded. I mean... It was obviously Charlie Adam coming out this time, but it could have been Chris Boyd because he's done it before, saying that there's there's been issues with Ayer. He's been all over the place this season. I disagree with that. I think Ayer's completely settled down in his role uh, of a defender, and I think Shane Duffy's played a big part in that. But who do you think, if Charlie Adam's making that claim, who within the Celtic dressing room would be passing that on to him? Exactly. Because Celtic's team seems to be quite tight. So I can't imagine any Celtic player phoning up Charlie Adam and go, wait till I tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, again, and it's, would they have that access to near Beton, you know, to pass it on? Because I'd imagine Beton and his agent, if they had any issues, I think they would do it correctly. Beton's been nothing but a total professional for us. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine them creating a bit of controversy with this. Christopher Ayer, as you're well aware, isn't he one of my favourite players? I think he had a wee couple of shaky games, but I think since that, and when Shane Duffy's came in, I think Christopher Ayer settled down, and he looks an awful lot better defensively. Mm-hmm. He certainly stopped his crusading runs into the middle of the park at every opportunity, because I think through Shane Duffy, he's been told, 
our responsibilities to prevent goals, not to set them up. You know, he's certainly been contributed to a few moves and a few goals, Christopher Ayer, but that's not his main job. His main job is to prevent goals, and I think he's done that very, very well. Another big thing about Ayer, Stephen, moving into uncharted territory here with players being, uh, you know, ill and the COVID, uh, the COVID situation really hitting home to, you know, Celtic uh, in terms of the actual staff getting the, the virus and missing games as a result of it. Ayer's adaptability, really, you know, we know that we signed him as a, as a kind of um, forwards playing midfielder. He was an attacking midfielder. He's been converted to a centre half. But, there is a, a kind of thought process and we have seen him playing on the right hand side that that he might have to actually be employed or deployed rather as a right back at some stage, maybe even on Saturday. So if we start with three at the back, as I have done this this week I've read out my team a few times. So I, I would start with Duffy, Julian and Ayer as you know, your three centre half, Stevie. But if anything happens in terms of, you know, if they're getting too much joy down one side or if someone gets injured and you need to revert to, you know, a flat back four as it were Ayer's your only option at right back because again, Frimpong's not a right back. He's he's an offensive player, he's an attacking player, and I think that um, Ayer is so important to Celtic this season due to his adaptability as as much as anything else. I think we could we'll be able to get through it tomorrow night once everything's settled. My team for Saturday would be Barkas, Ayer at right back, Duffy at the right side of the defence to keep talking to Ayer, not let him move, Julian. Greg Taylor, midfield of five, Frimpong, Encham, Brown, Callum McGregor, Laxalt, and I would start with Eddie up front. Mm-hmm. So striker. So and you, striker. you've got players like uh, Turnbull on the bench then, haven't you, that, that can Turnbull, make a, yeah, a change. Griffiths, yeah, Klamala, Tom Rogic. Mm-hmm. You know, if we keep that tight or even if we're lucky enough to go one up. And then- this week on the Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. And bring them out even further, I think we could totally exploit them. But wouldn't yeah. they want to exploit ourselves by being too open to start with? Now, I did say we were going to be speaking about some classic games um, against Rangers uh, and their, their different guises. Uh, because obviously, some of these were before my time, Stevie, I've got to say. But the very first one you're going to mention is, is a game that's uh, dear and close to my heart because, you know, it did feature prominently. The, the great George Conley. So could you tell us what, what is the first featured game that you want to talk about today against uh, Rangers? Yep, it's the Scottish Cup final at Hamden on the 26th of April 1969 in front of a crowd of 132,870 and it's Celtic 4, Rangers 0. The Celtic team is Fallon, Craig and Gemmell 
Murdoch, McNeil and Brogan, Conley, Chalmers, Wallace, Lennox and Ault, and the sub was Clark. The scorers were McNeil after three minutes, Lennox after 44, George Conley after 45 and Stevie Chalmers after 74. This game allowed us to win the treble in the space of 28 days. Jim Callaghan, this is just a wee bit of trivia, Jim Callaghan, the referee used, used the new 50p for kickoff, even though it wouldn't be a legal tender for another six months. Jinky was suspended, John Hughes was injured, and Harry Hood was cup-tied. In the 1971 film Dulcimer, John Mills, for no plot reason, sits watching the goals from this game on TV. The director must have been a Celtic man. Oh, I didn't know that. Brilliant. So, this is really pertinent, right? So this is 1969, and we're fast-forwarding to Saturday. George Conley and Bertie were employed as deep-lying midfielders, dragging Rangers fullbacks forward. This is an omen for Saturday, leaving spaces for the speedy Chalmers and Lennox to exploit. This is the first real example of Celtic playing a 4-4-2, mm-hmm. 1969. Billy set the tone with an early-headed goal. 19-year-old Conley goals a thing of beauty, dispossessing Greg and rounding Martin to top home. Bobby's goal was race clear to finish emphatically. Noel Charles Chalmers scored a classic goal on the break. No lap of honour was allowed. So Billy passes the cup back. That set the precedent for modern football, as you see it happening in every cup competition now when they right. get a trophy. Right. Bertie said he said he'd seen the game twice, once on the tactic boards and once on the pitch. Incredible. So that's the first game for 1969. We started with a 4-4-2, probably for the first For the first time. Incredible in, in so many ways because although I can't remember the game, I'm so aware of it due to the the uh, the goal that was scored by George Conley. If you can imagine a lad coming from a small mining village in Fife called High Valleyfield, and again, I, I wrote about this in my book, the, the Quality Street Gang, where the choice was pit boots or football boots, Stevie. And most men... Uh, had to go for the, the pit boots because they didn't have the talent. But Conley, as a young boy, was renowned around the village uh, for being this unbelievable talent. Now, his big brother was a good player as well, Joe. Joe was a, an excellent footballer, um, but he lacked pace. And Joe actually played for Cowdenbeath as a centre forward. And there's a game, someone might want to correct me if I'm wrong here, I think it was 1968, where Celtic went to Central Park and it was because it was the first game under the floodlights at Central Park. And Steen was very good at that, wasn't he? You know, send, sending a Celtic side to get some of the more provincial clubs a good gate receipts. So he sent the Celtic side up, and it was primarily the Quality Street kids that were playing. So at centre-half, you had George Conley. And at centre-forward for Cowdenbeath, you had his big brother, Joe, <laughs> who recently passed away, God bless him. Uh, Joe Conley, you always seen him cycling about in Kearney Hall, big, fit guy. You would mistake him for George, actually. Uh, he looked very, very much like his wee brother. But George was wearing, like you, you quite rightly said, George was wearing the number seven shorts that day. Because we jinky. 19 years of old. Oh, 19 years of age. Unreal. You know, and then it goes on next season to the great game at Ellen Road. You know, oh, unreal. Fantastic footballer. Unbelievable. And again, he was a shining beacon for, for kids. Not only kids, Stevie, that might have had a chance to play football, but every kid from the villages looking at somebody like George Conley, who actually played in a European Cup final, 1970, who played for Scotland, who was the Scotland Player of the Year. You know, that kind of thing didn't happen 
in the villages. People didn't go and achieve that that kind of level of success. So Conley, for years and decades afterwards, was a hero to so many people. And you know when he turns away with his arms aloft after scoring that goal, and he just he, he nicks it off of Greg and he walks around the goalkeeper like he's playing up at the park, you know, and he just kicks the ball in. And he turns away and again, this might be my mind playing tricks on me, I think his front two, two teeth are missing. And it's unbelievable what you learn when you start speaking to players because the guy that fixed his teeth was Jim Craig. <laughs> Jim Craig was George Conley's dentist yeah. and he got him a new set of nashers. It's, it's incredible. But it's but, amazing, you know, if you've got a young man at 19, you know, being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Now we've got guys, I say, we need to watch so they're only 23 and 24 I know. playing in a, a game with the front you know, crowd. If they're good enough, play them. Don't, don't nurture guys and mollycoddle them. Get them in the team if they're good enough. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, just to let everybody know that's uh, of a Celtic state of mind, George Conley is doing great. We know that he was lost to the game far too soon, Stevie. Um, and he had some dark periods in his life, but he's doing absolutely brilliantly um, through lockdown and uh, just in general. So a big shout out to George Conley, a high Valleyfield hero, a Celtic hero, a Scottish hero. Uh, he's doing absolutely brilliantly. So I think he's uh, back involved with Celtic as well, Paul, aren't he? When match days are allowed, I think he's back in about the lounges, is he not? He came, he came a couple of times um, to, you know, George, George he's, he's a, a big shy guy. He's, he's a big shy guy and he's one of the people that you wouldn't give him a mic and expect him to stand up and tell a few stories but sit him down Stevie and that football brain's unbelievable like I said to quite a few people I've interviewed a lot of ex-Celts to try and get a basis of stories for the, for the book and get a like a background if I was talking about that game I'd want to know how they felt in that changing room beforehand I'd want to know what Jockstein said to them you know what did they say to, to young George um, but George remembers everything. So when you're talking to some players, they can't even remember the game. You talk to George, he'll tell you who refereed the game. He remembers every detail. And actually during lockdown, his son David came through to pick up some books. I've got like a wee reference, like I say a library. It's not like a big expanse. It's a tiny wee room in my house. It's like a broom cupboard. That's where I keep all my reference stuff, all my books. And David came out to get some Celtic books for his dad. You know, because his dad will go through them and, and read biographies and autobiographies, the players that he played alongside and Celtic history books. He's, he's got a great wealth of knowledge and he's actually, he's brilliant company as Big George. And Have you ever he, asked him who his favourite Celtic player was or the best that he played with? Yes, and without hesitation, Billy McNeil. Wow. Without hesitation. He says Big Billy, but he talks so fondly about people like Bobby Murdoch, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Old. You know, he believes that there was a number of captains on that pitch. You had Jock Steen as a manager, of course, and then he says you had a, you had captains all over that pitch. But an interesting one about that game, I've spoke to him about that game, is he didn't think he played well um, against Rangers. Obviously, you, you look back, the goal, the young kid, as you say, within a year, he is one of the, the main players in the what was called the Battle of Britain against Leeds. But he he was very critical of his performance when he when he looks back. And I, I don't know if it was the occasion, he says that he, you know quite early on he was knackered. And I don't know if he was, he was playing out of position. I mean, he was very adaptable, George Conley, wasn't he? But, um, but that could be emotional fatigue. Yeah, you know, definitely. 132,000. Incredible, that, eh? <laughs> Another thing, just going back to yesterday, I spoke to Johnny Owen yesterday on on uh, a Celtic State of Mind, Stevie, and Johnny's been a good friend of this podcast because he came on in the very, very early days. Now, Johnny's a high-profile uh, movie director, and he came on to this wee rickety podcast when... 
you know, we were recording it with dictaphones over a phone and all that kind of stuff. And that was about two and a half years ago. And he gave us his time and he's a great guy and he stays in touch. And I remember, you know, every now and again, if Celtic were playing Rangers, he would text because he is a proper Celtic fan. And he was talking about how the Scott, the Scottish game is so important to the, the world game. And when you look at, you know, the highest attendances in European football and it's happening in Scotland. And when you reeled off that figure, it came back to mind what Johnny said yesterday about how important Scotland and Scottish football has been to the world game. Of course, he's, he's just made a new documentary focusing on Shankly, Steen and Busby, which looks absolutely dynamite. Can't wait to see it. But that attend is 132,000 and that's the ones that they counted. Well, if you think that if you were going to Celtic Park on Saturday, 60,000, you're oh, in awe. It's more than double that. Mm-hmm. More than double. You know, so you, you're no again, you know, people say, no, you, everything's scrutinised. If you've got to please your fans at 132,000, you need to be a good player. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, that was when all the kids were getting, you know, lifted over. Lifted over. So there was maybe closer to 140,000 at the game. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Um, but yeah, what what a game. And you're right in the midst there of the great uh, Jockstein teams of the 1960s and 70s. Oh, treble, wasn't it? It's only treble that year. Unbelievable. One other wee thing before we go into the next game, Stevie. Um, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Bobby Lennox and the late Stevie Chalmers on the same day up at Hamden. And. Um, we were at Hamden and it's, it's got some great historical um, artefacts up there. But there was a wee section, I think it was the Hall of Fame actually. And there's a constant loop of goals getting shown. And it shows you the four goals from that game. With Bobby and Stevie being in the Hall of Fame. And as we were walking past the screen, the two of them just stopped to watch the goals. And you could hear them, they weren't doing it for effect. You know, Stevie was saying to him, you should have passed that to me, to Bobby, <laughs> you know. And then when Stevie scored, ah, you should have passed that. It was just great to see the two old guys at that point having a wee laugh and joke about the good old days, you know. But sadly, sadly passed away Stevie Chalmers. And uh, when you read out the team, that's the first thing that strikes me is uh, the players that have uh, that have gone, Stevie. Well, even Jim Brogan, I was lucky enough when Jim came up to St Rocks a couple of years ago, Jim played for St Rocks for a wee while. And at that time, he'd been affected by dementia, mm-hmm. you know, and you're thinking, probably one of the most decorated men in Celtic history. And, you know, he was regressing with this horrible degenerative disease. They were able to get a few photographs with him and a few guys that were all of the same age. And it's just great to see them, and we should cherish them while we have them in our midst. Oh, definitely. And, you know, we could probably talk all day about them, Stevie, because you mentioned Jim Brogan, and it brings back another Neely Mocking story. Neely Mocking couldn't drive until he was well into his, probably his late 30s, early 40s. I'll need to ask young Neely about that. And uh, the first car that he got, he bought it from Jim Brogan. Jim Brogan dealt in cars, eh? buying and selling cars, and apparently it was it didn't even have any brakes. I, th- I think Jim's family were sort of quite well-to-do. Jim attended St Joseph's in Dumfries, you know, where... Most people wouldn't have been able to go to that sort of school. So, but no, a, a great, great player and a, a lovely, lovely man. Brilliant. Great memories, great, great names, and it's brilliant to discuss them. Uh, ten years after that game uh, is the second game that we're going to focus on. Celtic won the league, and famously, ten men won the league. Tell us your memories of that, Steve. You were at the game, weren't you? Yeah, so this is Celtic 4, Rangers 2, 21st of May, 1979. A Monday night, the game had been postponed for the 6th of January. A wee night of training for me, and I hope none of the rock players are listening to that. So the team that night was Latchford, McGrain, Lynch, 
Aitken, McAdam, Edfelson, Proven, Conroy, McCluskey, McLeod and Doyle. The sub was Davidson. So, the goals were by Aitken, McCluskey, Jackson, own goal and Murdo McLeod. So, Johnny Doyle, God rest him, was sent off in 51 minutes for retaliation against Alec McDonald. And you still had the referee, Eddie Pingle from Edinburgh, who still gave you where they came from in those days. <laughs> this game's generally known as 10 men won the league. It was Celtic's last game of the season. Rangers still had two games to play. Celtic were three points ahead, so victory was essential. Only two points for a win in those days. Three points for a win wasn't introduced until 1995. The great fa- facts from this is, this was Billy McNeil's first league title. A Celtic manager. Mm-hmm. The backdrop to the game was stature had been elected only weeks before and the industrial unrest which had pertained in the UK over the last year was manifesting in all specks of life. As we walked along Jane Field Street, a television mask was being removed due to a snap strike by TV technicians. There was also a rail and bus strike in Glasgow that night. The game took part. Alec McDonald scored for Rangers to make it 0-1. And if any of the younger guys... This is a mixture of Barry Ferguson, Morellis on one. Ali McDonald was detested by the Celtic fans. Usually you're detested if you're not a bad player. Ali McDonald was a, quite a good player. Celtic started to dominate and then Big Roy scored for an assist by Proven. McCluskey scored in 74 minutes after Aitken's shot was deflected. Bobby Russell equalised two minutes later. So we're going into the last aspects of the game. 13 minutes remaining, two each, places going mental, jungles heaving. Big Roy's immense this night, he's driving the team forward. For younger viewers, the viewers, the way Scott Brown does now, Big Roy was the same, just driving, driving, driving. 85 minutes, a McCluskey cross is mishandled by McCloy onto Jackson's head and it's an OG. 3-2 to the good guys. 90 minutes, McAdam clears the ball, Murdo controls it. Remember, it's his first season. He's only bought for £100,000 for Dumbartman the other season. 20 years of age. Bang, 25 yards out, postage stamp, Celtic are the champions. The place went absolutely berserk. It was that, That's the raw emotion, the passion of the jungle. And it's great, great days. I'm a young man and it's fantastic. And unfortunately, it ended up in a bad way. It's the only night in my life I've ever sat in a prison cell. Walking along the road. So I understand the Green Brigade do and crossed a road and the police appeared for nobody and threw me into the back of a van and I had to spend the night in Bermond Street Police Station. It was in the Calton. But it was worth it until I had to phone my dad and say, you need to come and collect me. And he came with my brother. And it was terrible to my brother because he went, I expected after that, I didn't know you. <laughs> so I don't know how my brother felt with that comment, but... Absolutely magnificent night, and as I say, the back rest to it is stature. Don't let any of your viewers let her be airbrushed. She was a horrible, horrible person, and we shouldn't forget her. No, absolutely not. And um, again, talking to Johnny yesterday, you know, we had the in common with many other people who'll be listening in. Our old, our old men were were minors, you know, and you know, suffering that minor strike, eighty four, eighty five, Stevie. Horrendous times, horrendous times for communities that tore communities apart. You know, and uh, then there was the, the big issue as well that a lot of men had to go away somewhere else to work. So you had these guys who were skilled and they were hard-working uh, guys with maybe, in my case, four kids to feed. And they ended up going away somewhere else to work and often 
far flung places. So marriages were breaking down because if the man's away for six months at a time, that can be difficult. And uh, so I, uh, you can still see it now. I drive into some of these villages, Stevie. High Valley Field, who I've mentioned already, Oakley, uh, Cymru, Blair Hall, these are all mining villages. And it's almost as if the soul and the heart's been torn out of them, you know. And that, you can trace it right back to, to Thatcher, you know, back in the 1980s. Decimated every village in Scotland that was a mining village, yep. from yourselves in Fife to Ayrshire. The whole village was decimated and never recovered. Never. You know, you're an articulate young man, but your life would have been shaped by what she'd done to your dad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no, oh, we, we, we go over it. You couldn't get over that. No. Every job in the village was done through the mines. Mm-hmm. If you had to supply them with any materials, if you were the shop that the miners spent their money in, exactly. all decimated. Yeah. Because of her. Oh, evil personified. See if there's any calm in the world. She's a miner in hell having to keep the fire going. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And it's, it's something that, you've got to keep bringing up because generations just won't know because they've not experienced it and I don't blame them for that, Stevie, but you've got to keep um, that memory alive. It was tough, tough times. Well, what sort of woman would do away with school milk for kids? I know. You know, it's not just a high-profile thing she'd done. She decimated the whole country and created problems where they didn't need to be. Now, I understand governments have to sometimes make difficult decisions, but she seemed to take great delight in really attacking working-class people. Yeah, premeditated as well. You know, they knew what had happened previously where the miners got one over on them, Stevie. And, uh, you know, it was a premeditated, tactical um, way of defeating the miners. Yeah, and they stockpiled all this stuff before it. And, yeah. you know, they weren't ever going to go back to the three-day weeks that happened with the previous miners' strike. No, absolutely. And then life would never be the same again. I mean, the, the, the workers never had the power ever again in this country, Stevie, that they maybe did have prior to well, the miners' strike. After she defeated the miners and she took on the printing industry with mm-hmm. whopping, you know, and just moved everything away from Fleet Street, you know, and again, probably they started the demise of the print media. Yeah, absolutely. So a big shout out to all the, the men and all the families that uh, came through that min, uh, that minor strike. I mean, I've got huge respect for a mo- my old man going through that, Stevie. A lot of people buckled and, you know, there were issues with that as well. So a big shout out to everybody whose family members were involved in that. And uh, we should never forget it. Now, you were talking about 10 men winning the league and every game you mentioned, it, it sparks up memories for me. Again, I wasn't at that. Um, I can take absolutely no credit for Celtic winning the league but I was born in December 78 and that's when the fortunes turned around <laughs> I think that had more to do with Danny McGrain coming back from injury though um, but as you might know I, I got really really friendly with and- This week on the Marketers Report Patrizio Spagnoletto Global Chief Marketing Officer Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on building trust Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Andy Lynch, who played that night, and uh, Andy remembers the game so, so well. Again, I went through the old Celtic football companion with Andy. And we spoke about every game that he played. And, I mean, understandably, he couldn't remember much about some of them. But that game, he could remember it. And I've spoken to Danny about it as well, Danny McGrain. Danny was the captain, aren't he? Yeah, aye. And um, you always think about Johnny Doyle, you know, how disappointed he would have been to have been the boy that was sent off. And I think Danny did say, that, you know, 
Johnny was feeling sorry for himself in the dressing room, but the players, a few of the players gave him a gave him a hard time for a spell, and then obviously allowed him to to enjoy the celebrations as well. And the, the images are great. Uh, there's a couple of people on the park. I know a few guys who ended up on the park as well, but there was a few of the Celtic youngsters in the jungle that night. Guys like um, Willie McStay and Charlie Nicholas who had stolen Celtic jerseys for Neely Mocking and went to the game. Danny Craney was another one. I'm just naming and shaming them. But uh, obviously, the following game you're going to talk about features Charlie Nicholas, who in 1979 was just a, a young ground staff boy nicking jerseys to go into the jungle. So, I, I think the emotion then, Paul, was more raw. Mm. You know, it's nothing to do with any criticism now. I think the way the songs are done and everything that Celtic Partners are a wee bit more orchestrated, a wee bit more organised. Yeah, yeah. I think back then it was just everybody was mental and it was spontaneous. You know, it's let's go, guys would just randomly do mad things. Even to the extent some guys would be running across the top of the jungle roof, you know, climbing <laughs> up pylons. Imagine trying to do anything like that now. The, it would, the place would be shut down. I know. I know it was spontaneous, so as you say, it wasn't as organised, and um, there was a bit of rawness and a bit of passion in there. Eh? Um, but yeah. great players, great, great players, tremendous. I mean, the goal you mentioned, Murdoch McLeod's goal, that was voted. People remember that Jinky was was voted the greatest ever sell. Uh, but quite recently, Steve, you gave me the the I think it was a sixty four page magazine that um, accompanied that ceremony, and there was loads of other awards given out that night, and there was an award for the um, the best. At the time, old firm goal, uh, obviously as it was back then, Stevie, and it was awarded to Murdo McLeod. Now that's interesting because the only footage we've got because of that strike you mentioned is grainy footage, I think, from the Celtic Cine Club. But what a goal that was meant to be for, from about 30 yards. You know, Murdo talks about it, if you ever hear him doing his public speaking or after dinner speaking, and he says it goes further and further back. <laughs> but he, he explains it. He could just see all the fans in the Celtic and was trying to put the ball in there because it wouldn't be given back. Aye. But he, he sort of plays it down. But it was a fantastic goal and a fitting end. And again, you go back, there's a magic about a football club. Oh, absolutely. Now, moving into the 80s. This is moving into the, the era that I actually remember. I can recall the early 80s. I can recall waiting on the old man coming home from the games and, and seeing the scores coming through. Nicholas was the name that was standing out, Stevie. Can we just go back one wee minute to that last game, 1979. I was doing picking up the gin yesterday for St Rocks and I was talking to wee Jamie Kerr. Right. And Jamie was talking, I was saying I was going to be doing this. In his memory in 1979, he couldn't get to the game. And there was no way of knowing through the TV or the radio what the score was. So Jamie phoned Celtic Park. 10.30 night. Now Jamie's only a kid He's got to primary school The next day He says my dad's no one He says I don't know where he is He says he's awake the match So he phones up Gets the result He says waiting for dad He says nothing Nothing He says about 2 o'clock in the morning He says I hear this clatter Up and down the street His <laughs> <laughs> dad's had a lock-in In Rutherglen Main Street In one of the pubs He stole two bin lids And he's walking up And down the road Clattering <laughs> symbols All the way up the road He says I'm on the school bus the next day, he says, and you're pig doing hey, what did you hear that noise last night? He says, nobody's admitting it. And his pal says, it was Jamie's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he was singing. I wonder what he was singing. Brilliant, brilliant. Everybody will have their own individual stories about that night as well, though. I mean, the but fact... Only 17, 1979, Paul, and you can't get the result. You can't get the result. <laughs> I know. I know that's astonishing, eh? That is astonishing, Stevie. Uh, we move into the 80s. Yep, and uh, 1983... 
Charlie Nicholas, the, the golden boy that had come through at Celtic Park, Champagne Charlie. We spoke about him recently on the show, but let's talk about Charlie the player, Mark One. I, I just want to remember him with that sort of wavy modern hair, the thin boy and the boy genius. Mm-hmm. Because whatever he's turned out to be, Charlie Nicholas was a sensational genius for Celtic. This game's Rangers 2, Celtic 4, the 14th of May 1983. The Celtic teams, Bonner, McGrain, Sinclair, Aitken, McAdam, McLeod, Proven, McStay, Nicholas, Burns and McGarvey. The subs were George McCluskey and Mark Reid. The referee was Brian McGinley. The scorers for Celtic were Charlie, the 48 and 86 minute, both penalties. Tom McAdam, 61 and Frank McGarvey, 73. We had three quarters of the stadium that day. That's, you know, when people talk about Rangers and a great crowd... We took three quarters. Mm-hmm. This was Charlie played in his last competitive match. We lost the league to Dundee United, who won 2 1 at Dens Park. Dens has a habit of appearing in last day title wins, as we had with our own <laughs> wee bit in 1986. If Dundee had equalised, Celtic United would have had identical records. That's how close it was. And Aberdeen weren't far away from it as well. We had the Broomland Road, the Govan Stand, half of the main stand in the enclosure. So we're 2 nothing down at half-time. The Celtic fans in unison were singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Bully sent the players out early to watch it. Mm-hmm. That's when they were inspired. These young men looking around their biggest rivals' stadium and it's Celtic fans all over the place singing You'll Never Walk Alone. So we come back out. We're 2 nothing down at half-time with two deflections. As Bully's often stated... Something special about this club. So, there's a foul on Proven. Charlie scores. 61 minutes, McAdam header, two each. 73, McGarvey beats McCloy across, 3-2. United have won and Celtic score. But we were denied the title. It would have been three in a row. This is one of these games which ultimately ended in disappointment. But your heart was beating with pride in your team, your manager and your fellow fans. We didn't let them down, and they certainly didn't let us down. Incredible. And that, that wee bit in management from Billy McNeil, Stevie, to send them out there and, and turn them round, as you say, you know, it inspired them. The Celtic support inspired us on uh, to overcome a, a 2 nothing deficit. And, and the thing as well, though, 4-2 at Ibrox, um, 4-2 when 10 men won the league. It's a scoreline. I don't think we're going to get as many goals as that on Saturday. Unless we score early, mm-hmm. unless we score early, then that's a, a possibility. Because we, we've certainly got great offensive players, and if we can get Barkas and Duffy organising defence tomorrow, we, we could be hard to break down. But offensively, we've got some fantastic players. But getting into any of these games, as long as you score one, then more than the opposition, I'm happy with that. Now, there's another three games, Stevie, that are more my era. Before we, we move into them, uh, let's have a look at some of the messages coming through. Stephen Forbes has been a, a good supporter of the, the podcast and the broadcast uh, recently, Stephen. So welcome back, and you're watching on YouTube. Celtic will roll back the years with a Griffin-Roger-inspired victory on Saturday. That would be nice. That would be nice. The perfect birthday gift for my dad, Kenny, who is 66 today. Happy birthday to Kenny Forbes. Also, best wishes to my dad for a big day on Monday. All the very best uh, to... Kenny and Stephen Forbes, it's always great to... Happy birthday, Kenny. ...to get your old man uh, involved as well. So brilliant. Happy birthday. And 
Bob Doig start Griff against them on Saturday to run their defence ragged then bring on the fittest of our strikers from the bench after an hour well we've spoken about this as well thanks for your contribution Bob the fittest striker we've got at the moment is arguably Klamala I find it quite interesting you know when we've got all these different views everybody's saying we should start Lee Griffiths now based on a 10 minute cameo mm-hmm. you know so We've now all just deemed that Lee's fit and we can get an hour at him. Where a couple of weeks ago we got 10 minutes, we were all delighted. Yep. Now, the only person, or not the only person, but the guy with a decision to make is Neil Lennon and his backroom staff to see how fit do they deem Lee Griffiths to start. If you think you could get 90 minutes out of Lee Griffiths, and I think you should have to have at least that in your legs if you take part in this game. If you tire after 60, that's a different matter. But you should have to be ready for 90 minutes. You can't guarantee what happens around the other end of the park. Where if you think, I can get 60 minutes. So you get three midfielders injured. Mm-hmm. You're two fullbacks. You've made your five subs. But you're banking on, I'm only going to get 60 minutes with my centre forward. Yep. You can't take that assumption that that's what's going to happen. No, you're, you're spot on. And again, we spoke about that in the last European game when Beaton was injured. You know, because we had Julian on the bench. Uh, we didn't utilise Julian, but... These things can completely throw a span on the work, Stevie. So you're spot on. Now, Barca Boy, who uh, gets involved regularly on the broadcast, is joining for the first time on YouTube. Uh, so hopefully that's enjoyable for you as well. Normally, you would be joining us on Twitter. And you think that Lenny will go with Griffiths and El Yunusi supporting. I, I have got them two starting uh, on Saturday, Stevie. I think it's uh, version three of my side after all the, the call-offs. But that's how I would start. But it's like you say there, if we were to go back to the comments on some of the uh, YouTube videos, but you can read the comments, obviously. Even a month ago, there was loads of, loads of people coming on, Celtic fans, saying that Griff's finished. Get over him. That's what we were getting told on the show. All of a sudden, Griffiths is a man to start against Rangers. And it might be all a bit too much too soon. I admit that. I've got him in my team. That's probably my heart overruling my head, I think, Stevie. But I have got him in my team to start... And then you've got the question of Eduard as well. You've said you would start Eduard. Listen, he's your secret weapon because I think a week ago he was almost written off for this game. If you think back to when Eduard came on in the League Cup final, mm. they were terrified. As soon as he got the ball, way wide left, Golden tries to get through him to take him out of the game. They're terrified of him. There's nothing wrong with Lee Griffiths starting tomorrow or Saturday if Neil Lennon deems him fit enough to play. But he's got to start with the basis that he can play 90 minutes. If he's fit to play 90 minutes, if you play him and he plays Elianusi, if we can shut him down further up the park, it then makes our job easier for our midfielders. But we'd have to get inside Neil Lennon's head to see, is he going to contain or is he going to go on the front foot and make it an offensive game where we'll leave ourselves a wee bit vulnerable at the back. Oh, definitely. Now, Francie W, welcome back. You're commenting via Facebook. Uh, afternoon to you. I reckon Odson will play a part at some part of this game, whether it's starting or impacting as a sub, like you say in the, in the cup final against Hearts. The boy will be naturally fit and has now had rest time on the niggle he's been carrying lately. There's so much to consider there because, like you're saying there, uh, Francie, you know, some of these guys have played three games in about a week, Stevie, so they're going to be, um, you know, maybe feeling the effects of that. You've then got players like Scott Brown who you know, will be fresh because he's not pl- played those games. Eddie, who's going to maybe be less fresh due to his illness. Loads to consider for 
for the game on Saturday. Do you reckon players like Ayer, El Yunusi, who maybe got two or three international games, Shane Duffy as well, um, might not have enough rest for this game? Because there's another con- consideration. Big, big Duffy, you know, having not played many games for Brighton, has come in and he's been playing two and three games a week ever since he signed for Celtic. It depends if you but what type of personality you If you want to play games, you'll be fit to play. There's no doubt about that. But before I came through here this morning, I was talking to a, a football agent and we were talking about players and what you would go through to play. He made a really, really, an off-the-cuff remark that most players don't like playing games. Mm. All they're thinking about is their next move. Yeah. You know, where guys like yourself and your viewers... They would do anything to put on that game. And what none of us have got any experience of has been in that changing room on Saturday before a Celtic and Rangers game. What's going through your mind? What emotions are you feeling? What instructions are your manager getting? Do you Are you one of those players that think, I'm a centre mid. I'm a, I would give anything, and I'm sure all your viewers would be the same. You would give anything just to be on that grass. Mm-hmm. Whether you thought you were in a centre forward, if he says you're playing at left back, you would put that strip on and do it to the best of your ability. You wouldn't take yourself out of the team by saying, I don't play that position. You're right. And an interesting point that you've made there, Stevie, is no one knows what goes on behind the curtain. No one knows what goes on in that dressing room. And that's why I think we become quite frustrated when pundits are talking as though they do know what's going on behind the dressing room door. I mean, I've had some conversations with Danny McGrain and only now uh, will he talk about the first stage of Lenny, when Lenny was a manager first time round, and some of the things that would happen on the training ground and in the dressing room, he would never have done that, you know, had it been at the time. He wouldn't have gone and sold the story or told somebody out of line. He's telling me because it happened so long ago, you know, maybe seven or eight years ago. So for Charlie Adam to claim that he's got a mole or information has been fed to him from a reasonable source... Um, let's take it this incredible. bit, Paul, if it's okay. If footballers and they're all young men and you've usually got some pranksters to use an old fashioned word amongst that squad is somebody telling Charlie that to make him embarrassed to embarrass him you know because I don't think there'll be a Celtic player who would phone Charlie and go wait I tell you Big mm. Beton's causing murder I think they might do it so he goes on that show and makes a complete fool of himself Aye, exactly. I think there's more chance of that, to be honest with you, Stephen. Um, football CFB, Callum was on yesterday, talking to a Celtic state of mind. Um, basically says if Edward is fit, then he starts. But I must admit, I'm liking, I remember the game uh, so, so well for the fact it was so historic against Hearts, wasn't it? And then obviously after the game, Neil Lennon gets the, the manager's job permanently. But it was when he came on, when... when um, Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking back to the Rangers game. When Edward came on, you could almost see that the, the fear in the Rangers players that, that he instilled in that Rangers team. And he would have that same impact. You mentioned the centre-halves earlier on, Stevie. Um, and again, we don't know how they're going to line up, but they won't relish playing against any of these Celtic centre-forwards, let's be honest. Clamal is a different kettle of fish. He's a runner. He gets in behind them. Um, he as I say, is probably the fittest out of them all, but you've got Griffiths who, who makes those runs in behind the defenders and he's shown that he can score goals against Rangers. Eduard is, is the jewel in the crown and a Yeti, two Rangers, is an unknown quantity. So whoever we play up there, whoever we play up top is going to cause them problems. Well, if you take it just back that 
if Lee Disney come on and have his great cameo against Johnston, Celtic fans, I believe, would be clamouring for a Yeti and Edward to start. So if we stick a Yeti on, and it looks as if he's going to be fit, mm-hmm. and he goes up against Goulson, or I think he's a big guy, Hollander, and Eddie just drops off, that changes the whole dynamic of their midfield because they can't go because neither your centre half is going to come out the back to pick up Eddie. And yet he's going to engage the two, so somebody from the midfield's got to take herself out of the midfield to go then and sit and pick up Eddie. Should create a wee bit more space for our midfielders. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the greatest plus points about Celtic the new is the adaptability to the players to change in game. And I think we would be able to adapt to that much quicker than what they would. I think they would be pretty rigid how they think they're going to set up to play us. But we've got so many more different options. I think they've got a, an OK 11, but I don't think they've got any depth. If everybody's fit, even allowing the guys who are going to miss because of COVID, I think we'd be far too strong. The five substitutes is a great bonus for us. I think you made a, an excellent point in relation to them having a strong start in 11, Stevie, because they've got a very defined start in 11, whereas you look at the Celtic side and you could give a, an 11 and I can give you a different one and various other people who are tuning in would do the same. And that's because of the depth of the squad that, that Neil Lennon has. We're talking about strikers. We've got four options up front. There's a couple of um, areas of that pitch where we don't have as many options, right back being one of them. We don't always play with a right back. Um, but you're absolutely right. We've got a really, really strong squad. And I just think that, um, you know, when we come up against um, this Rangers side on Saturday, um, they've already shown a wee bit of lack of respect in terms of the way that Celtic line up, their tactical um, abilities as a management team. And, you know, I'm thinking back to the stories that Danny told me in relation to Lenny when he was first time round when he was a manager and um, the way that he would uh, berate players, etc. But speaking to um, some guys who know him pretty well and maybe played alongside him, um, they've said that he's completely mellowed out. I think he's going to be calmness personified on Saturday. But Neil Lennon was a very demanding player. You know, you speak to some of these guys, and you've been fortunate enough to do it, you know how they're coming through as young boys. His demands on them when they played, they weren't allowed to shirk anything. And I think he took that into his first spell as manager. We need to be calm, but as I said earlier, I don't think we can be too calm. Mm-hmm. We, we can't be too passive going on to the part. I don't mean you have to go on and get the red card, the red miss comes down the first couple of minutes, but we need to be aggressive, controlled aggression, passive, play with emotion, but no get involved in all the rubbish. But what I would like us to do tomorrow, because I know they'll certainly do it, is see if any of the decisions start going against us. To pressure the referee. Don't accept it and just run back. Start pressuring them. Mm-hmm. Now, I know the danger is that we receive a yellow card they get a warning. But we shouldn't allow him to get into his game where, right, I need to please the Rangers players because you're going to give me a hard time where Celtic are just going to accept it. No, you're right. We've spoken a wee bit about the referee, uh, Stevie. We can maybe speak a wee bit more about that on Friday night yeah. when you join us with Jim Simonetti for a late night edition. Is that a late night edition? Yeah. Probably. Eight evening, o'clock. Evening, evening. Who knows how long that will run? <laughs> it might be right through till ten. Who knows? Um, now you've given us three great memories uh, ranging from the sixties right through to the eighties. Now you're bringing us right up to the year two thousand and a famous victory under Martin O'Neill. The demolition derby, Celtic six, Rangers two, twenty seventh August two thousand. The Celtic team: Gould, Volharan, Stubbs, Mahi, McNamara, Petrov, Lambert, Lubo. Peter and Larson. 
Subs that were used were Mialba after 36 for Lambert, Boyd after 54 for Lubo, and Burchill after 81 for Henrik. The unused subs were Kerr and Berkovic. The Celtic goals were Sutton, the first in the 90th minute, Petrov 8, Lambert 11, Henrik 50 and 62. The one only out these six games we're going to talk about, I'm going to mention the Rangers team, because they were so strong that mm-hmm. this makes this game even more important. They had Kloss Rickson, who was substituted after 22 minutes for Tugi because of the doing Bobby Petter gave him. Conterman, Amoruso, Vidma, who could be sub for Conchelsea after 65, Claudio Areno, Ferguson, Van Bronckers, McCann, who was substituted by Lovenkrantz, and Bully Dodds and Roy, Ray Wallace, I think it is, the manager's dick advocate. This referee was Stuart Dugo. This was Martin O'Neill's first Celtic game against Rangers, a turning point in the dominance of Celtic in the domestic game. The most goals against Rangers since the 7-1 League Cup victory in 1957. Chris Sutton's goal in 51 second, seconds was a record for the fastest goal in Celtic versus Rangers. Ferguson was sent off and was involved in a brawl in Bodwell that night. No Gallagher intending supporting the hoops. Many false dawns prior to this game in the previous 15 years. The Centenary Double, St Patrick's Day Massacre, both under Big Bully and the Lubo-inspired 5-1 under Dr Joe. Before the game, you had trepidation and excitement. We still witnessed Martin's influence on the team. And how did it pan out? A glorious exhibition of football that shook the game in Scotland to its core. This marked the decline and eventual demise of Rangers and the start of the dominance of Martin O'Neill and Celtic. Prior to the game, Sutton says, time to put Rangers in their place. And he subsequently terrorised Amaruso and Contamin. The goals, Lubo's corner, touched into the box by Stubbs. Larson miscues, shot and Sutton bullets out over the line. 1-0. Eight minutes, Lubo corner, Petrov unchallenged, bong, 2-0. Lubo cut back, Lambert, 3-0. After 11 minutes, Reina scores, 3-1. The chip. Sutton's chested pass from Gould's clearance drags the ball past Cornerman and dips close, or chips close, sorry. Free kick from Peter, Henrik's header, 5-2. Great cross from Matty, Sutton, bang, 6-2. Celtic's dominance of Scottish football begins and continues to this day. Henrik's chip was the point that that started. Oh, what a goal. What a goal. How, how often have you watched it, Stevie? But you know... There are certain games where you vividly remember exactly um, your reaction, where you were at that time. And obviously you've told us about the 4-2-1 ending and uh, a wee um, lie down for you. <laughs> that 6-2 game, I missed it. I was in Reading. I was at Reading Festival when we beat Rangers 6-2. Now that's shocking. What kind of Celtic fan am I? <laughs> I I'm down there watching Primal Scream and uh, I think the Verve, were the Verve playing? Um Back then, no, they had split up. That was another festival. Rage Against the Machine, um, 2000. And uh, I missed. In fact, Oasis were playing as well. How would how could that be? How could Oasis have been playing? 2000. I need to double check that. They must have played the night before and then came straight up to the game. Because I do remember. <laughs> or the day I. Uh, because obviously, I think it was a three-day festival back then. You've got me thinking. I was at Reading Festival. I missed that game. And uh, But as you say, the demolition derby and having spoken to people like Chris Sutton about the occasion, um, you know, he 
even at his press conference when he signed Stevie, he spoke about putting Rangers back in their place. Now, sometimes people say things and you think, ah, oh, they're playing up to the, the wider support. But, you know, Chris Sutton had a lot to prove when he signed for Celtic. He'd been more or less written off after his move to Chelsea. And um, the, the club that he could have signed for at that time was Middlesbrough. Down there, could have stayed in England and, and signed for Middlesbrough. And he speaks about, obviously, speaking to O'Neill and how O'Neill sold, sold him the idea to come up to Scotland and playing for Celtic. And he's one of the modern-day kind of Celtic heroes, isn't he? Chris Sutton. And I love, I actually love him as a pundit. I think he's a brilliant pundit um, as well. But the one player that surprises me when you read out the team that has an association with that game is Berkovic. Yep. I would never have associated Berkovic with that game. Albeit he was an unused sub. I think the difference with Big Sutton, Sutton's got a confidence bordering on arrogance. And where you know he can play, see when he refused to play in the B International for England, mm-hmm. good players don't play in that. Guys who think they've got something to prove jump at these opportunities. So having the confidence and the arrogance to tell the England manager, I'm too good for that, we know we've got a player, gets to meet Martin, and Martin installs that confidence in him that this is what we're going to do. You know, even Martin, you know, Rangers are the benchmark, this is what we've got to do. It was absolutely brilliant. You know, you start your first Celtic Rangers game and you score within 51 seconds. Mm. You know, usually your career can only go downhill from there, but has escalated. Where Chris Sutton, when you're talking about modern football, Chris Sutton's one of your greats in that period. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, he talks about that, that goal because people reckoned it was uh, offside and he says it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Noel Gallagher was at that game. And, and I remember he's been back a few times since then. He was up uh, for the Man City game. Um, but I, I remember speaking to Paul Gallagher. I'm name dropping the day, Stevie. Yeah. Paul Gallagher was the first guest on a Celtic State of Mind all those years ago. That's the reason I'm, I'm mentioning him. And he is, of course, the elder brother of Noel and Liam. And he's a massive Celtic fan. He was talking about coming up to games against uh, St Johnston at Perth uh, in the 1990s and running buses for Manchester and everything else. So it was always great to see him. I don't think I've ever seen Liam Gallagher at a Celtic game, to be fair. But um, he's tweeted a few times fairly recently about Celtic. So, you know, I love that connection between the Gallaghers and Celtic. And uh, after that game, or during the game, uh, roll with it. Celtic fans were singing roll with it. They played it over the Tannoy. And I know that JP, um, JP Taylor's a big, a big pal of yours, um, who's a massive Oasis fan. And he remembers that fondly as well. I think you've also got the Peter Reid connection. Mm-hmm. Because there's been various times that Peter's been at Celtic Park as well and really indulged in the, the celebrations to... I think there's been a few occasions he's been on a table, you know, singing Celtic songs. So he's got a great association with Liverpool and Man City. So I think Peter and the Gallicers maybe have a really good Celtic connection. Oh, it's great. I mean, people are mentioning some of the other people... Uh, rock stars that have come up to Celtic Park. I was interested to hear that, you know, during Gordon Strachan's time, that James used to get tickets from Strachan due to Tim Booth's friendship with Gordon Strachan. And they would go and, uh, you know, watch games and largely not get noticed. But then obviously if they did, they would all start singing Sit Down. 
You know, uh, which I, I is so one, predictable. I think the good story was just <laughs> told about getting the tickets for Kilmarnock one and That's right. About <laughs> aye, but Strachan didn't set. Aye, it was just normal <laughs> tickets behind the goal. Um, and obviously, when Strach goes to watch James, he gets all the treatment and all the free bevy and everything else. But uh, brilliant! I, I love, I love these memories. And moving on to a time, I remember again. You know, looking back on the history of Celtic, and we started off in the sixties, and you know, Celtic were a European superpower um, back then. And then that period, Stevie, where we didn't do anything in Europe. You know, you, you look back to the run that we had that ended in nineteen eighty against Real Madrid. Uh, you know, in the quarter final European Cup, and then of course it took until O'Neill came in for Celtic to still be in Europe beyond Christmas. It was a it was a shocking record, but he was starting to build at that that time a club that he thinks can do something in Europe. Of course, he's a European Cup winner himself, as is John Robertson. His assistant, and uh, in two thousand and three, there was a famous game against Rangers, and it was around about the the era of uh, us getting prepared to go to Seville. Yep, this is definitely this game. Any victory against Rangers is obviously worthwhile. This wasn't one of the greatest performance, but it was a real, real fun occasion on the back of the game against Boa Vista. So this is the twenty seventh of the fourth, two thousand and three. Rangers won Celtic two, affectionately known as Beach Ball Sunday. The team's Douglas, who was substituted after nine minutes for Broto, Boharan, Baldi, Lawson, Agat, McNamara, Lennon, Thompson, Sutton, Larson and Hartson. Petrov come on in the 66 minutes. The goals were scored by Tomo, a penalty 29, and John Hartson. This breathed life into the talent, but it was really the surroundings to the game. You know, it was the great song, You'll Be Watching the Ball While We're in Seville. This was this day, you know, it was brilliant. Big Rav forced after nine minutes, replaced by Javier Sancho Brotto. Amoruso, clumsy challenge on Hartson. Tomo slots a penalty. The second's a sublime goal. A Gat skins Lovenkrantz, cuts the ball back to Henrik, flicks the ball to Hartson, who side fits it past Kloss. Hugh Dallas was the ref. The biggest thing was the Celtic fans, sombreros, beach balls, inflatables, surfboards, Hawaii shirts, sunglasses were just back for Porto after playing Boa Vista in Porto. You know, absolutely sensational week for Celtic. The emotion of being in Porto for that night against Boa Vista when your dreams could be shattered to Henrik goes up. Spending the night in Porto, who'd also qualified for the final with two teams for the one city, we've knocked one out. So the Porto fans are celebrating with the Celtic fans. Boa Vista fans are in tears. And then you go to Ibrox on Sunday and the Celtic fans, through all their forums managed to orchestrate, you know, games held up for 20 minutes for the beach balls. And even Barry Ferguson, who's a figure I hate for the Celtic fans, says it was absolutely brilliant because I knew my father-in-law would be in the cell again. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so th- th- that was a, a great occasion on the back of us getting to a final of a European Cup competition, which I don't think many Celtic fans thought we would ever get to. Well, throughout my life, as I say, Stevie, you know, looking back on the good old days and looking back on the time of the likes of George Conley, where we were progressing in Europe, uh, season on season almost, for a period. And then you you actually get to the point where, you you know, during that nine years of no league wins, you wonder if it's ever going to happen again. As a young Celtic fan, having not seen a great deal of success, and European success was so far beyond 
even that, you know, just winning a trophy was enough. Winning that Scottish Cup in 1995 against Airdrie. So how far away did it seem that Celtic would be in a European final again? And we're only fast forward in eight years and we're in a European final. Now Celtic are obviously in a much firmer uh, footing now, Stevie, but myself in my early 40s, I, I think to myself, will we ever be at that stage of Europe again? I mean, is it something that you think about? Do you think you'll ever see another European final in your time? I think it's possible. Uh, and I've been looking, I've, I've been born through the three European finals. I think if we have a wee bit more luck, a wee bit more direction, it's certainly something we'd achieve. I think, excuse me, it would be very hard to get to the Champions League final. But I think there's definitely a chance in the Europa League. If I were able to move to a different league, then I think the Champions League has become a possibility. But the night in Porto against Boa Vista was the amount of gentlemen who are Celtic fans that had seen in numerous European trips, you know, in tears at the end of the game mm. because we had achieved our dream. You know, we'd heard the stories from our fathers about going to these games in Lisbon and Milan. No, it was our game. This was our chance. You know, we get held back in the concourse below and then we all left and when you're standing down there and then the Celtic fans, you've been in these things, whether it's at Ibrox or anywhere else, and the chants just start to your knees are shaking, you've got goosebumps, your hairs are standing. It's marvellous being a Celtic fan on these occasions. Absolutely marvellous. Even Martin and all the things that they went through, they says that night, which I wasn't, I stayed overnight, that when they went into the airport that night, it's one of the greatest occasions in their life because mm-hmm. the Celtic fans just rose to acclaim the team. <coughs> Excuse me, how good must that be? You know, we talked earlier on about coming out at half time to watch, you'll never walk alone at Ibrox, yep. you're doing this in an airport. It's absolutely magnificent. It is. And, and it shows again how inspirational the fans can be, Stevie, to the players. And that's going to be missing on Saturday. And let's hope that it's not something that becomes the norm. Uh, us facing Rangers without any fans in the stadium. And now, there's one other fixture, and I can hardly believe this was four years ago, Stevie. It's been a quick four years for me. Definitely. Um, talk to us about uh, the demolition derby. Celtic 5, the, the Rangers won, the 10th and the 9th, 2016. The first ever league game between Celtic and the Rangers. Moussa player, first player in Celtic history to score a hat-trick against the Rangers. If we're going to go for a team playing from Ibrox, it's the first time in 50 years since Stevie Chalmers in 1966. Celtic commemorated the Irish famine for National Famine Memorial Day with a badge in the front of their shirt. This is Brendan, when we loved Brendan, you know, and some of you still have affection for him. To this day, he jocks Dean, hopefully looks down proud on us. This was the day I genuinely thought Brendan had us in his heart. You know, he spoke about his father, you know, passed away five years ago, previous to the day, you know, and how proud he'd have been. But our team, this day was De Vries, Lustig, Turi, Sviatchenko, Tierney, Forrest, Brown, Beaton, Sinclair, Rogic and Dembele. Armstrong, Carmack, Roberts for the subs. The goals were Musa, 32 minutes, 42 and 83, Sinclair 61 and Armstrong the 92nd minute. Willie Collin was the referee. This was the day that Cranshaw and Joey Barton were supposed to put Celtic to place. Bruni murdered both of them. It was really surprising because Joey Barton had a lot to say, but was quite a good player in his day. 
Cranshaw was an exceptional player and he looked as if he was throwing a caravan that day. He just got overrun completely. Lee was a big surprise before the game. Celtic fans were disappointed that Musa was playing in the stadium mm-hmm. and they proved beyond a shadow of doubt this young man was absolute quality. It continued a 100% start to the season and it was a perfect hat-trick, a header, a left foot and a right foot. The first in Stevie Chammer in 1966 against Rangers. What a special player Big Musa was. I mean, we all knew the time was going to come, Stevie. Uh, we knew it with, with Musa Dembele. We knew it with Virgil van Dijk. My biggest regret, and I've said it on here many times, is that we didn't see that partnership developing with Eduard. I think that would have been unbelievable uh, for those two be, to be playing in a Celtic jersey. Neil Lennon would have been forced to play two forwards. There would have been <laughs> absolutely no doubt about that. Now, we've, we've been looking at uh, quite a number of scorelines there. 4 nil. Two four twos, a six two, a two one, a five one. I'm not going to ask you for your prediction until Friday night, Stevie, but I think it's going to be closer to the two one. To be honest with you, I mean, we were going out there in that last game that you mentioned there, and we were expecting actually to beat Rangers, and by some margin, uh, for a for a number of games, we thought five one four one was never beyond us. And there's a game, actually, we were five nothing up after 54 minutes. Yep. You know, when you look at that, you think that could have been the day that we could have really put them to the sword, you know, um, eight, nine, nothing. Those days at the moment, I would say, are not going to happen, unless it's a freak result um, on both sides. That's not going to happen. They're going to be organised as as are Celtic. I believe we've got the better players, the better management team, the better squad. Home advantage, you still have an advantage, even though there's no fans there, Stevie, if it's your home ground. But then they've got some advantages. Their advantages are, we've got four players missing, potentially through covid We've got a couple of injuries to players who probably would have started. James Forrest being one of them. And of course, we've got John Beaton, the man who um, is going to be making the decisions in the middle of the park. So we'll talk a wee bit more about them on Friday night when we join you. Around about eight, we'll be able to firm that up over the next 24 hours or so. But it's been an absolutely fascinating insight into Celtic v Rangers back in the day and then the modern Celtic v Rangers games uh, of the last few years, Stevie. And we've had loads of comments coming through, and people who are commenting on Twitter and on Facebook and YouTube, thanks for getting involved. We do try and get through as many as we possibly can, uh, so please continue to get involved as we move uh, forward into the, the weekend and the big the big game on Saturday. We'll be there half an hour before kick-off. All that's left for me to say, Stevie Mullen, is thank you again for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Absolute pleasure, Paul. Thank you. and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? 
Just stop. This is a 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.